Hey, this is Don Nyam, a.k.a. Stingray, from the movie Undefeatable, and you're listening to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. <laughs> Once every decade, China's best fighter duels Japan's finest warrior in a battle for the greatest honor in the martial arts world. But when the honor of the contest itself is threatened, can the two combatants come together as allies, or will they destroy one another trying? Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vita, and in this episode, we throw down the gauntlet and take on the Wuxia Classic with Duel to the Death. Duel to the Death is a 1983 Hong Kong film starring Norman Chu and Damien Lau and showcases the directorial debut of Ching Xu Tung. Ching Shu Tong, or Tony Ching, might be well more known for his work with Shui Hark on uh, Chinese Ghost Story, but he cut his teeth in film with his dad who was a director with the Shaw Brothers Studios. He eventually went on to win an award for Best Action Choreography in the 2003 Hong Kong Film Awards for his work on Hero with Jet Li, and you can see the beginning of some of that thrilling choreography in this film. However, while he might have gotten a lot of critical accolades for a Chinese Ghost Story, this directorial debut packs a whole lot of crazy into 86 minutes, but it's a glorious kind of crazy. The film opens up with a worm's eye view of a seemingly empty street until a bunch of ninja run right at the screen and over the camera. Come on, when a movie opens up with ninja in your face, that's gotta be a good thing, right? The classic silent assassins sprint towards the temple and without a sound, leap up to the roof and into the windows. Tony Ching works some great camera angles here with some ninja spilling into the building's library as the camera dollies backwards across the floor. But it's not on a track, and in fact it looks like someone might be waddling backwards getting the shot, so it's a rough but very cool looking scene. The ninja go about silently ransacking the shelves looking for a particular set of bamboo scrolls. When they locate the scrolls, instead of pocketing them and getting out of there, they sprinkle some powder across the carved etchings and stretch some parchment over it and make a rubbing of whatever it is written on them. Somehow the temple's monks are alerted to their presence and converge en masse on the library. The ninja pack things up quick time and jump out the windows only to land face to face with a few dozen monks with torches and bad attitudes. Fight scene. <laughs> be praised we've been expecting you all right so maybe it's more like mildly concerned attitudes but it sets off a monk versus ninja free-for-all the chief abbot here armed with a bladed staff and his crew of monks go all in and start swinging their swords to try and cut through the ninja horde of course the ninja no slouches and fight back hard credit again to ching for playing with the angles here as he puts us right in the middle of the fights as the swords clash all around us monks and ninja leap over railings and take the fight through various temple halls while this battle rages, we move into a room where several monks are sitting peacefully with a white-clad warrior, all in a state of meditation. We hear the swords clanking and see the torches passing right by the room, but the guys in here are in a total state of chill until the abbot breaks the silence. I can read your mind, your actions. You want to know how good your kung fu is? The warrior opens his eyes and nods his head, to which the abbot sighs and grants the warrior his leave apparently sensing that this guy really wants to go out and fight some ninja. A warrior grabs his sword, but instead of standing up and rushing into battle like a normal human, he somehow flies backwards like he was yanked by some mystical force, right through the walls, and tumbles right into the thick of the fight. So if you're unfamiliar with wuxia movies, this is the kind of stuff you can expect. While the more traditional kung fu action films focus on slightly more grounded battles, emphasizing styles and hand-to-hand combat, 
Wuxia films throw in an element of fantasy and mysticism that isn't explained by any real-world logic. If you've seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, that's the most mainstream Wuxia film that I can point to. The treetop battle that defies the laws of gravity and physics is the kind of stuff that typifies the Wuxia genre. Just wait though, it gets absolutely bananas in this picture. Our White Knight unleashes some awesome sword skills here when he takes on a few dozen ninja by himself. The sparks fly when the swords meet, and he wheels his way into and out of trouble, but is clearly beyond the abilities of any of the ninja there. The ninja beat a hasty retreat to a nearby beach with our monks giving chase. It's a frantic whirlwind of a battle, and we're again thrown right into the middle of it as we watch swords and bodies fly around with abandon. The ninja, carrying the transport scrolls, finds a clearing and buries their gains in the sand, and then decide that if they can't win this battle, they're going to take down as many of their enemy as they can with them. How, you may ask? As ninja suicide bombers, of course. Yes, these masters of stealth decide to go out in the noisiest way possible by lighting dynamite that they have in their robes and leaping through the air at their enemies. They target some poor hapless monks and latch onto them and simply blow themselves sky high. About a half dozen bombs go off, sending body parts flying across the sand, and there's a wicked freeze frame to cap off the chaos as we fade back to the meditating monks. Apparently, our white warrior Ching Wan escaped the carnage, and the abbot is lamenting the pointless sacrifice of the ninja and the loss of some of their fellow monks. Ching Wan, however, is entirely unfazed by the bloodshed and looks at the fight with a slightly different perspective. I admire those ninja warriors. They were dedicated. They attacked our monastery knowing they would die. Sorry to say, but Chinese fighters, they lack such devotion. So let me reset things for a moment here. The temple was just attacked by suicidal ninja, and they took the lives of several monks, but you're cool with that. Even the monks seem to take it all in stride because they've already moved on to discussing why Ching Wan has been studying with them in the first place. Apparently, there's a contest coming up, and Ching Wan has been chosen to be the Chinese representative who will take on the Japanese champion for the title of best fighter in some all-important duel. It will be a duel to the death. <laughs> So after that bit of chaos, we cut to a Japanese traveler as he makes his way to the temple to meet with the monks and talk about the upcoming tournament. This traveler and the abbot spend a few moments straight up belittling the abilities of the other as they compare the Shaolin way versus the Japanese fighting style. At Shaolin, we use our art purely for self-defense and to enhance our minds. We do not seek fame or fortune. I see. You think you're smarter than us. We're not mindless fighters, you know. Having heard enough about how good Shaolin is, the Traveler challenges the Abbot to a fight, as you do, so that he can see firsthand this amazing skill. The Abbot balks, but the Traveler will not take no for an answer. <laughs> Look at you, hiding behind that beard. You're a coward, aren't you? You disappoint me. Fight scene. The monk not wanting to punk out gives the Traveler a go, and they exchange a few blows. The Traveler is slightly younger and has a fair bit of skill, managing to land some hard strikes. Just when it looks like the monk is going to get handed a beating, Ching Wan flies in and disrupts the fight, and is able to tear a piece of cloth from the Traveler's robe. Content with the display, the Traveler delivers the news of their chosen representative. Our representative is Hashimoto Kada. He's by far the best fighter in Japan. He is ready. He will be waiting for your man at the Holy Sword House. We cut to Japan now and meet Hashimoto Kata as he's taking a stroll in a robe that is far too short for any man to wear in public. He's watching some students sparring and gives some fighting advice to a put-upon kid, which allows him to outwit his bully. 
He leaves the scene and makes his way to a Japanese temple where he's given a special sword and some encouraging words from a general. You'd better win this duel. Our country's reputation lies in your hands. No pressure or anything. That night, Hashimoto and his crew get their party on, complete with two geishas and lots of sake flowing. One of Hashimoto's old masters even stops by to pay his respects and sends him off with more sake. Not to belittle anyone's going away party or anything, but other than the geishas, this particular shindig is a big old sausage party. But maybe it's best that Hashimoto has no distractions before the big duel. Come drink with me! <laughs> Perhaps it's coincidental, but interestingly, that line, Come Drink With Me, is the title of the film that we did a few shows ago that has been considered as one of the most influential wuxia films of the era. Anyway, after Hashimoto has had his fill, he decides to retire for the night and starts walking back home when... As if ripped from the current headlines, from out of the shadows pops the ancient Chinese equivalent of a demonic clown wielding a bladed staff who charges right at Hashimoto. Fight scene. The demon clown and Hashimoto trade some vicious blows, but the true circus magic comes into play when the clown leaps up into the air and backflips away from Hashimoto and, wait for it, teleports from one spot to the other instantaneously. So again, a quick primer for the uninitiated. Wuxia films can tend to be loaded with bits of fantasy and magic that may make you feel like you're stuck in a fever dream, so just roll with it. Hashimoto certainly does, and he correctly anticipates where the demon clown will land and wheels around with his sword, slashing the mask of his attacker and running him through with the business end of his sword. But when Hashimoto turns around, he's horrified to see that it was his old master who just wished him well at the party. Do not grieve for me. It is a warrior's honor to die in combat. Yes. Remember, you must fight for the glory of our school. Never surrender. For his sake, you have to hope Hashimoto wins because he's going to have egg on his dead face if he doesn't. What is the Pottern family? Hey, y'all. It's Juliette Miranda from the Unwritable Rant Podcast. This is Michael Vasquez of the No Soundbites Allowed Podcast. I'm James Hatton. I'm Podcast Rob from the Something Something Cast. This is Knock from the Geek Over Podcast. This is Jeff with the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. This is Daniel from the Toe on the Trigger Podcast. This is Dave from the Parlapod Podcast. Hey, guys. This is Mike from the Mike Jolet Show. Woo! We're Josh and David from the Scotch and Flicks Podcast. We are you podcasters coming together in a community to help one another grow so follow us on twitter at potter family use the hashtag potter family in your tweets and retweet other people who do the same potter family where great podcasts come home meanwhile back in china ching wan is trekking through a forest to meet up with one of his old masters and his pet cockatoo dragon in stark contrast to the austere master that Hashimoto just killed, this guy is a drunken, slovenly old fool modeled after the Beggar Ho character in Chinese legend. He flies across the treetops like a monkey and calls out to Ching Wan to catch him. Ching Wan, the ever-loyal student, of course, suddenly develops alligator arms, rolls his eyes, and lets the guy hit the forest floor. The pair play this bit for a few laughs, with the overacting master even talking to the cockatoo, and the bird inexplicably answering back in coherent sentences. I'm not senile, am I? Not yet, but you're close! What? We get a little bit of Ching Wan's backstory when the master explains why he put Ching Wan in the monastery to begin with. The memory is a source of some pain for Ching Wan, and the master plays it off as an insult from an ungrateful student, and storms off. But as Ching Wan leaves, he makes a quick request of Dragon to take care of his old master, because he plans to return as his champion. That night, the whole village is partying in celebration of Ching Wan representing China as the Lord of the Sword. 
There's dancing in the streets, puppet shows, fireworks, and music, and Ching Wan is the toast of the town, though apparently no one in town actually knows who he is. Ching Wan walks through the festivities and sees what the people are saying about him and his chances in the duel. The puppet theater is even staging a mock battle between Ching Wan and Hashimoto, with the Ching Wan puppet absolutely humiliating the Hashimoto puppet and stripping him down to his skivvies. Unfortunately, in the audience are some Japanese scouts, and they don't take too kindly to the mockery. And instead of taking their complaints to the puppet theater management, they go ahead and murder the puppeteer, right there in front of all the kids. Subtle, right? This understandably sets the crowd on edge, and the tension starts to build when a figure clad all in white literally flies into the scene and lands in the middle of the square. Stay back. Now, if you listen closely to the audio here, you'll hear a few of the crowd say, who's he? But when the character turns around, we the viewer clearly see a woman, but in the context of the film, no one else recognizes this fact. The fighter eyeballs the Japanese scouts and doesn't mince words. You murdered that man. You'll pay for that. Fight scene. The Japanese guys laugh off this threat and just watch as the fighter hands his sword to the newly widowed old wife of the puppeteer, which she holds straight out in her shaky hands. The Japanese think this all to be highly amusing and move to draw their swords, but the fighter moves like lightning to step in and in one fluid move stops the Japanese blades from exiting their sheaths while drawing his own sword and slashing the throat of one of the scouts, and then pushing the other scout directly onto the blade still being held by the puppeteer's widow. The assembled crowd are thrilled with the show and actually start applauding. Ching Wan himself was in the audience and he steps to the fighter to pay his respects, but the fighter only has a warning for Ching Wan. That sword will only bring you trouble. The next day we cut to Hashimoto who stopped at a river to quench his thirst along his travels. As he's drinking, a figure on a horse stops beside him. The rider, a fierce looking young man, who by the way is actually the woman who stepped in during Ching Wan's celebration, eyeballs Hashimoto, but he takes a look at him and simply walks away. You must be Hashimoto Kada. I wish to fight you. I have only one opponent in China. And that's me! Yeah! This is a short flurry of swordplay with Hashimoto showing off why he is the best Japan has to offer. The girl is on her heels quickly, but she does flash some impressive skill. However, Hashimoto is not impressed, and he knows a little bit about why and he cuts it short. A warrior does not fight women. As he walks away from the insulted woman, we catch a glimpse of the old traveler lurking in the hills, shadowing Hashimoto. Later, as Hashimoto is resting by a campfire, the traveler drops in on him. We learn that his name is Kenji-san, and he's tasked with accompanying Hashimoto to Holy Sword House, the site of the duel. Kenji-san sizes Hashimoto up, and flat out asks him if he thinks he can beat the Lord of the Sword. Tell me honestly, can you beat him? I will destroy the man. It is my sworn duty. Robo! Sushi Jackknife is a weekly show about depressed children's characters, dead soul of my mother that lives in the moon, and uh... <laughs> an apathetic Jorge shook his head no and walked off. Christmas Tuba Man. You've been brought here on a mission of the most high import Tuba Man. Planets of Miserable Slugs. So on this giant slug planet, I can't get over this idea. Giant slug planet. <laughs> I... I really, there's one musical slug, just one? Just one. Just one? Yeah. And do his song for me and he day? And he just, he only plays it to torment the other slug. Super Bananas from the past. He's a super banana from the past. He's from the past. He went to the future, 
but he's from the past. Walmart haiku. At last, dreams come true. Bullets, hot pockets, nose spray, all in the same place. <laughs> Original games. Number two. Yes. Who said it? Garrison Keeler or Lil Wayne? Uh huh. A girl in a bikini is like having a loaded pistol on your coffee table. There's nothing wrong with them, but it's hard to stop thinking about it. But that's Lil Wayne. No, dude. It's Garrison Keeler. Sushi Jackknife is over 50 episodes strong and as binge-worthy as The Vicar of Dibley. No one knows what that is. You're, you're right. I mean, No one knows. I mean, I know what it is. Is it, it necessary that people know what it is? Well, I mean, you just referenced an obscure British sitcom that no one watched. I mean, I watched it. You are literally... The, <laughs> the people on the show didn't watch it. Yeah. Anyway. The opening was a hymn. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like a lot of people know about hymns. No, but... I, no one cares. Okay. <laughs> Well, if you want, if it, like, comes around, like, listen to Sushi Jackknife. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and whatever the fuck else. Yeah. Yeah. We exist. It's a podcast. That's Back on the Shaolin Beach, the woman is chilling when from out of the ocean comes a wave of ninja, seemingly running on water and making their way to the shore. They make a beeline for the scrolls that they buried earlier before they went all kablooey boom boom on everyone. They find the scrolls and, as if to verify that these scrolls randomly buried on the Shaolin beach are indeed the scrolls that they themselves buried earlier, they dip the parchment in the water, revealing the rubbings that they made from the bamboo etchings. The woman has been observing quietly until suddenly, a ninja springs out of the sand like some kind of ninja geyser and slashes her across her arm. Fight scene. The ninja and the mystery woman pretending to be a man leap all over the beach throwing the steel around. Another ninja tosses a whip and catches our heroine around her ankle and starts to drag her through the sand. She fights off a gauntlet of swords that come at her as she's pulled towards another ninja who's planted a sword and is just waiting for her to be sliced in half. As she gets closer to her doom, Ching Wan leaps into the scene and cuts the rope freeing her. Back to back they battle the assassins until the ninja decide that this is a fight for another day. They begin launching smoke grenades. And I don't mean one smoke grenade, I mean they all launch a ludicrous amount of smoke grenades that crisscross the beach and confuse our fighters. When the smoke finally clears, the ninja are gone. Ching Wan and the woman retreat to a camp where she gets her wound dressed. Ching Wan compliments the fighter on her excellent swordsmanship, and we get a few lingering looks between the two. It's only as Ching Wan leaves to gather firewood does he reveal that he's smarter than the average bear. Uh, I am a little curious. Why are you disguised? I'm sorry. You didn't fool me, miss. For some reason, this angers the girl and she stomps off sulking while Ching Wan smirks smugly to himself. The next morning, Ching Wan continues on his journey to Holy Sword House. He enters the main parlor to find Hashimoto and the Traveler already there. The representatives take turns defending their country's traditions and customs in a build-up to the upcoming China-Japan showdown. When they're received by the woman, they've each come to know along their journeys. Allow me. This young man is Master Han's son. We've met before. So again, this is the woman so very unconvincingly disguised as a man, but to everyone else, he is Master Han's son. She takes the fighters to meet her father, who's fishing in a lake on a straw raft about 50 meters away from the dock. He welcomes the warriors and invites them to speak with him on the raft. The two fighters look at each other and, without a second thought, leap into the air towards the raft. The father makes things more difficult when he pulls the raft another 10 meters, which makes it look like the warriors are going to fall a bit short and land in the water. But, laws of physics be damned, Hashimoto pulls his sword under his feet and uses it to catapult himself further. 
Ching Wan, meanwhile, throws his sword right onto the lake's surface and simultaneously leaps off of it and then collects it while landing safely on the mat. The father is duly impressed both at the skill of these fighters and their apparent ability to defy gravity. Shot. We should take them to look at the rock. Of course. Welcome to the rock. Sorry, wrong rock. The master of the Holy Sword House shows the Warriors the Tournament Hall of Fame, which is a long stone corridor inscribed with the names of past champions. Han Sun explains how her great-grandfather was China's first champion, and the tournament has been held at Holy Sword House ever since. Only the best of the best get their names carved into the wall, though many have died trying. Here we understand an important difference in the fighting philosophies of our two main characters. But duels don't always have to be fatal, do they? Contests can be friendly. I disagree. Warriors must always fight to the death. The master goes on to lament how he and his family are not allowed to send a champion to the tournament, even though they essentially founded it. And one day very soon, Holy Swordhouse will fight for China. Meanwhile, Ching Wan's abbot is walking along a country road, minding his own business, when he unknowingly steps into Cuckooville. Stay with me here. The ground beneath him starts to quake a bit, and he hears what sounds like gigantic footsteps, but not ordinary footsteps, more like T-Rex footsteps. When the steps stop, he continues on, but he hears them again. But this time, when he turns around, he's face to knee with a giant ninja. Not a big ninja, a 15-foot ninja, complete with 15-foot ninja costume that looks down on him like he's a bite-sized snack. The monk, who is mildly shocked at this development, stands his ground, and as he's staring up at Gigantor, he watches as he splits himself into six distinct and separate regular-sized ninja with regular-sized costumes. Sort of like Voltron's lines separating. Or, if you remember the early 80s cartoon Pandemonium, it was more like that. As in that cartoon, three talking pandas named Chesty, Timothy, and Algernon could temporarily unite into one being named Papa Panda, who had superpowers. And when Papa Panda was done foiling the plans of the evil alien Mondragore, he would again separate into the three individual pandas. Anyway, the ninjas attack the abbot with some of the ninjas instantly burrowing themselves into the ground like rabid moles. We've covered a few ninjas that could do this in other movies, namely Five Element Ninjas and Ninja in the Deadly Trap, so this shouldn't phase anyone. It certainly doesn't phase the abbot, as he uses his staff to go blow for blow with all the swords thrown at him. There are some terrific exchanges in this fight, and it only gets more surreal as the ninja decide to employ a few distraction techniques to subdue the monk. First, several ninja line up and disappear in impressive puffs of purple smoke. Why purple? Why not? And then, for the ultimate distraction, one ninja rips off his clothes, revealing himself to be a pretty hot woman with long flowing hair and no compunctions about bearing at all. She gets into a fight stance buck naked, and the monk can do nothing but turn his eyes away and pray, which gives her the opportunity to trap the monk in a net that she had hidden on her naked body somewhere. While the abbot looks to be in a bit of a pickle, Hashimoto and Ching Wan are spending some quiet time together in a forest sanctuary, contemplating what they're about to do. Their perspectives on the tournament are pretty set, and neither is as glorious as they've made it out to be. Nobody wins here, except death. There'll be two more fighters here next year. They will stand here just like us, in front of our graves. When all of a sudden the stillness is rocked by an explosion that the pair managed to avoid and through the cloud of debris and ash flies a few ninja, hell-bent on killing the two fighters. The warriors gather themselves and take off through the forest after their would-be assassins. Hashimoto finds a clearing and stops just long enough to pop his sword out, 
when the ninja strikes. Fight scene. The ninja and Hashimoto swipe at one another in a powerful sword fight with neither fighter giving any quarter. During one close exchange, Hashimoto and the ninja lock eyes and it gives them both pause momentarily. The ninja uses various acrobatics and even resorts to throwing stars, which Hashimoto is able to duck easily. As Hashimoto advances, the ninja makes a few flips into the air and disappears from the forest. Apparently, the ninja magic is pretty limited as we catch up with him as he's retiring to his ninja house after a day of attempted murder. But he wasn't stealthy enough as Hashimoto has followed him. To duck out of sight, the ninja does what ninja do best and flies up to his ceiling and nestles up there between the rafters. As Hashimoto scans the room, his eyes fall on a staff that he seems to recognize. He steps out of the room and the ninja drops down, only to reveal that he is in actuality the Japanese traveler Kenji San. Meanwhile, Ching Wan apparently didn't have to deal with any ninja at all as he's back at Holy Sword House where he's talking with Shan, or the former Han Sun, about the attack. While she stresses that the school has bumped up security, Ching Wan takes this opportunity to put on the full court press. Why would a woman like you want to dress up like a man? Not many men will fight a woman. You shouldn't hide your beauty. Be proud of it. Unfortunately, Shan's father overheard the whole flirtation and is not happy about it. There's a quick interlude here where Shan takes Ching Wan's words to heart and we watch her slowly and sensually get dressed. Yeah, she dresses up. In more traditional women's clothing. She's all made up and has her hair did and for just a moment relishes her own womanhood. Later, her father calls her in for a meeting where he reminisces about the glory days of his family and admonishes her for falling under the spell of Ching Wan. Now we cut to another random swordsman as he's walking along a road at night. He senses something in the air but can't seem to pin it down. The camera pulls back and we see what exactly is in the air, literally, and it makes zero sense. Behind him, in the air, on kites or hang gliders, which by the way are little more than bedsheets stretched across some poles, are three ninjas. Ninjas. On. Kites. And somehow these guys can control the ascent and descent of these kites because they dive-bomb this guy with their swords drawn. Fight scene. The ninjas swoop down and the warrior is forced to leap, tumble, somersault and flip his way out of the death from above attack. The ninja give his sword a little play before landing their bedsheets, in perfect standing position by the way, and take the fight to the ground. It's a furiously paced sword battle with this guy more than showing that he's worthy of three kite ninjas. They duck behind their bedsheets for a moment and when they emerge, the fighter looks up to the sky to see a freaking sortie of kite ninjas flying through the air and trained on him. Seriously, there are dozens of these guys in the air and they all drop down to take care of business. Infuriatingly, we never see what happens to this guy nor do we even find out who this guy is because the scene cuts away too. The master of Holy Sword House apologizing to Ching Wan and Hashimoto over dinner about the lax security of his school. While the guests are dining, Ching Wan takes a moment to make googly eyes at Shan, which her father takes note of. Kenji-san compliments the Chinese food and wine, but Hashimoto takes the opportunity to drop a cryptic aside that he aims at Kenji specifically. They do say there's a black sheep in every family. We have them in my country, too. They say whatever they want, regardless of others. The headmaster cuts the tension with a toast to the champions, and we follow the camera to the ceiling, where a panel slides away and a thin thread is being lowered towards the table. As the guests discuss the arrival of the other tournament guests, we see a bead of liquid gather on the thread and slowly make its way down. The bead falls off the thread and drops into a cup. As the guests move to drink, Hashimoto jumps up but is stopped by Kenji-san, who insists that they all drink. Now right here, something happens that I still, to this day, do not understand. As they drink, Shan and the headmaster look up to the ceiling and exchange a glance, and Shan leaps from the table straight up to the ceiling and apparently out onto the roof where you can hear her footsteps fade away. No one at the table so much as blinks, 
and they go right on drinking. I thought maybe I missed a scene somewhere, but nope, that happened and I still don't know why. Maybe one of you guys can help me out there. Anyway, later that evening, Hashimoto hears someone walking outside his room and peeks out to see Kenji-san heading out into the forest. He follows him to a clearing where Kenji stops and magically lights a cauldron as several dozen ninja gather and take a knee in front of him. Kenji-san turns around and confronts Hashimoto. I'm disgusted with you. You are a priest, aren't you? You fool! You're forgetting your loyalty to Japan! Hashimoto rants that he's on a mission from the Shogun himself and moves to strike, but Kenji stops him with a scroll from the Shogun and a startling revelation. Maybe you should take a look at this. Kenji, you're in full command of the mission to Holy Sword House. Ensure that the duel is handled to our complete satisfaction. Kill anyone who stands in your way. Hashimoto is angered and confused when Kenji lays out the entire conspiracy for him. The fight's just a diversion. We're going to kidnap China's best fighters. A deal's been made with Master Han. He kills Ching Wan. Then his daughter Shan will fight you. And you lose. When we understand their Kung Fu, then we'll have full control of China. Hey guys, this is Bill. This is Phineas. And together, we're the Tattooed Bananas. We do a comedy podcast, and on our comedy podcast, we talk about all kinds of wacky crap, like... Nutscaping. I'll tuck you in tonight. Turning your funeral into a funeral. Can I have an ice pop? Can I have a candy? Dick fishing, furniture banging, and so much more. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and connect with us with the Potter and Family hashtag on Twitter. Yeah, don't forget to check out the Instagram. Throw a bag of bagels at someone's head. Hashimoto drops to his knees in self-pity and he does not hide the conflict within him. Kenji tells him that he owes his success to the Shogun, and he better remember it. Meanwhile, down in the Hall of Fame, Ching Wan is contemplating his own role in this when he hears Shan arrive behind him. They talk about the heroes on the walls and their sacrifice for the glory of China. Shan questions the point of it all, and Ching Wan doesn't disagree, but still holds that the fight is important. Shan, however, offers him another proposition. If I ask you to, will you give up the fight? Pride, of course, dictates that Ching Wan can't even go there, so he walks away. The next morning, Hashimoto is meditating on a rock by the ocean when Ching Wan confronts him. Even with all the betrayal and skullduggery that he's learned about, Hashimoto is resolute in his goal. No matter what happens, I will not yield to you. And I promise you, I'll take your sword from you. Ching Wan absolutely understands, and they spend a few moments talking about the life of a warrior and how ultimately it leads to death either way. Then Ching Wan asks an important question that puts Hashimoto right at the crossroads. Tell me something. Do you think there's something strange going on here? I've got a bad feeling. Something's gone wrong. I feel this won't be a fair fight. Hashimoto, sticking to his code of honor, answers the best way he knows how. I'll make sure it's a fair fight. And just in case you were starting to get all scratchy at your forearms because you hadn't seen any ninja in a while, as Ching Wan is walking back, he witnesses several ninja flying through the forest carrying several mysterious crates. They're literally flying through the forest. Ching Wan channels his drunken master from earlier and starts flipping and twirling his way from branch to branch like a monkey to try and keep pace with Air Ninja, but he can't quite catch up to them before they get to Holy Sword House. As he enters the gates, he's met by a gruesome sight. The headmaster is sitting against the wall in a pool of blood with his severed legs lying beside him. Ching Wan rushes to him, but he begs Ching Wan to leave him and go save Shan. Inside one of the rooms, Shan is fighting off four ninja. 
Ching Wan arrives just in time just to see one ninja run her through with his sword. Ching Wan steps forward, but a trapdoor opens up under him, and he plummets into a dark chamber where he's caught up in a net. Around him are several other Chinese prisoners, all strung up like flies in spider's web. Among them is Ching Wan's abbot from Shaolin. As he struggles, another door opens up and a shadowy figure steps forward using crutches. As he steps into the light, we see that it's the headmaster himself. He explains that this whole thing was an elaborate trap and that he was actually born legless, and it's all part of his plan to get Shan to fight Hashimoto to restore the glory of Holy Sword House. We next see Shan as she's crying on her sword, realizing her part in all of this betrayal. So back to that scene at dinner. Yeah, I get that she's in on the plot, but she flew up from her seat to the ceiling and no one said boo? I'd have been at least like, is that the only way to the bathroom because I'm not sure you want me jumping around right now. Anyway, Hashimoto shows up and asks Shan where Ching Wan is. When she doesn't answer, Hashimoto knows what's happened. Your dirty tricks have made your wish come true. You'll get your fight, and I'll kill you. Meanwhile, the orchestrators of this conspiracy, Master Han and Kenji-san, have just gotten word from the Shogun that they need to move the Chinese prisoners to Japan that night. It means Hashimoto will not get to fight in the duel. Shan busts in on the conversation, and all of a sudden she's found a moral compass, and is righteously indignant about what her father has planned. A plan which, by the way, she was in on from the beginning, but when she realizes that her father is actually selling out the Chinese prisoners, Shan turns her back on her father and refuses to go any further. Shan makes her way to the dungeon and releases Ching Wan, and together they head into the house to seek an antidote. To what, I'm not sure anymore, because this film's attempt at linear storytelling went off the rails hours ago. As they enter a room, they get ambushed by a figure flying in from an adjoining room. But it's not just any figure, it's the headmaster, Master Han himself. Fight scene. Master Han and Ching Wan toss the swords around and make a flashy spectacle until Shan steps in and tries to stop her father. Master Han holds nothing back as he fights both his daughter and the Lord of the Sword. Shan, however, is incredibly conflicted and vacillates between holding off her father's attacks and slowing Ching Wan down so that he doesn't kill her dad. Master Han exploits an opening and disarms Shan and has her dead to rights with his sword at her throat. She pleads with him to think about what he's doing. As he wavers, Ching Wan explains what should have been obvious to him, that the Japanese have been using him the entire time. Unfortunately, Master Han has grown far beyond stubborn and is dead set on restoring his family to glory. Shan senses that there's no more reasoning with him, and she lays it all out for Ching Wan. Apparently, she has to fight Ching Wan for the right to fight Hashimoto. And that fight has to happen right here, right now. Fight Shan and Ching Wan put on a fantastic display of swordsmanship as they take their battle all over the room and even up into the rafters for a spell. The two move so fluidly that it's impossible to see anything but the glint of steel and the flow of their robes as they whirl around like dervishes. Master Han watches the battle intently from the sideline, but he's not about to let the opportunity to ensure his daughter's chance at the big fight pass him by. He jumps into the battle and knocks a pillar down on Ching Wan, then flies at him with his sword at the ready. Ching Wan sidesteps the attack, which leads to Master Han stabbing his own daughter. Ching Wan has the fallen headmaster in his sights when Shan begs for him to spare her father's life. The headmaster crawls over to his dying daughter and is consumed by grief at what he's done. Ching Wan, knowing that there's nothing left for him to do there, rushes back to the dungeon trap only to find that all of the prisoners have been moved. We cut to a throng of ninja carrying those mysterious boxes across the river with Kenji-san at the lead. He comes to a sudden stop when he spots Hashimoto standing in the river, waiting for them. I won't let you do this. I'm acting on the Shogun's orders. Fight scene. After trying to convince Hashimoto to kill himself as a traitor, Kenji-san lets the ninja loose, but Hashimoto leaps up into the air and runs across the advancing ninja like they're a carpet, and turns around and starts cutting them down one by one. The fight moves to higher ground even though ninja are literally pouring out of the trees. 
Hashimoto is far superior with his blades, though, and Kenji-san decides he's finally seen enough, so he steps up to finish the job. As he and Hashimoto go at it, ching Wan arrives and starts inspecting the crates. He steps to one particular box and gets attacked by the ninja hiding within. The other ninja hear the battle and assemble to take on ching Wan. The Lord of the Sword takes his turn now, cutting through the ninja even though there are about 50 of them coming at him. Several of them even jump up into the air and disappear in puffs of smoke. As ching Wan watches the smoke float away, it mixes with falling leaves, which then morphs into ninja stars that are raining down on him. Thinking quickly, he slices off a big piece of tree bark and uses it like a shield as he makes his way up into the trees to find his hidden foes. He gets into it up among the high branches until they all come tumbling back down to the ground. When ching Wan turns around, the ninja reappear in the ready stance and then collapse from the wounds that they just got from ching Wan. Hashimoto and Kenji-san continue to battle as ching Wan makes his way to where they are. The fights have gone from fierce to frantic with the swords flying around like lightning. Now, all together in a big clearing, several ninja step into the mix, and ching Wan actually slices one in half from top to bottom. Another ninja literally explodes as he's run through, and, knowing that his opponents are prone to popping out of the ground at random, ching Wan stabs the ground under him, releasing a fountain of blood. Back with Hashimoto, the fight seems to be fueled by pure anger now, with Hashimoto tearing through Kenji-san's staff and putting Kenji on his back. Hashimoto is quick to press his advantage, and he goes in and slices Kenji's arm off. Kenji takes the fight to the trees, and this is a dizzyingly cool sequence with each of the fighters leaping through the air and using whatever they have to do damage. Kenji falls back on some ninja smoke bombs to try and distract Hashimoto while he mounts an attack. Hashimoto is prepared, however, and turns into the attack and manages to strike at just the right moment to decapitate Kenji and send his head flying through the trees where it gets impaled on a branch. Now you think that would be the last you hear from Kenji, right? Well, you'd be wrong. So even as the decapitated head of Kenji is impaled through the ears on a branch, he manages to leave a parting message for Hashimoto. Mark my words, you will die. And not only does he get those last words out, he then explodes like some kind of booby-trapped head. Explodes like a Samsung phone right there on the branch. ching Wan, meanwhile, has made his way back to the crates and has freed his abbot and they begin their journey home. But shadowing them is Hashimoto. So you'd think that after finding out about the conspiracy, being betrayed by his shogun, and having just been dressed down by a head on a stick, that Hashimoto would just chalk this all up to the world's worst acid trip and call it a day. But nope. We still have some unfinished business. Ching Wan, however, takes a more reasonable stance, saying that he's not going to fight him, because it would mean nothing. Hashimoto, though, will simply not let it go and presses Ching Wan asking him what he would do if someone close to him were murdered. ching Wan's done with it all, though, and tells Hashimoto that it's time for him and his friends to go home. A reasonable man would sulk, perhaps, and call ching Wan a coward. Hashimoto, though, is not a reasonable man. He leaps towards the abbot and cuts him down. Like a total dick! ching Wan grabs the sword, and what happens next has been said to be one of the best sword duels ever in wuxia film history. Final fight! Facing off on the seaside rocks, the two fighters square off and let it rip. This is a breathtaking sword battle that is punctuated by the waves crashing off the rocks around the fighters. One of my favorite things about this scene is the sound of the swords hitting and hearing the ring of the steel echoing off the cliffs. Both fighters land significant cuts and there's an incredible amount of them literally flying around and leaping from rock to rock. The flying isn't such a huge distraction though because they keep the battle raging even as they soar and whirl through the air which really amps up the excitement. There's a stretch where they don't land for what seems like hours, but they keep the steel ringing throughout the whole sequence. 
These guys change direction in midair, and at one point, their fighting dislodges the piece of cliff that they're standing on, and they both tumble towards the ocean. Hashimoto desperately stabs upwards and lodges his sword in Ching-Wan's shoulder, slowing his fall while Ching-Wan has managed to grab onto an outcropping and still inexplicably grabs for Hashimoto's hand to stop him from falling. Ching-Wan eyeballs Hashimoto, then throws him up towards the top of the cliff and then leaps after him, with both fighters going several hundred feet back upwards to solid ground. Now, with Ching-Wan heavily wounded, and having just saved his life, you'd think Hashimoto would realize that this is all really stupid and should just let it go. Nope. Instead, he evens the playing field by stabbing himself in the shoulder. In a totally slow motion finale, both combatants rush at each other and find themselves in really close quarters after having dodged the first approach. Hashimoto sees an opening and goes for a stab to ching -Wan's side, but ching -Wan catches the blade with his bare hand and buries his sword into Hashimoto's gut instead. Hashimoto twists his sword, cutting off all of ching -Wan's fingers, then swipes it up and chops off ching -Wan's right arm. The pair look at each other and realize that this is about all they're going to get out of this fight. ching -Wan stumbles away while Hashimoto fights to stand, with the sword still sticking out of his belly. He lifts his own sword and stabs it down through his foot and anchors himself to the rock underneath. The movie ends with each fighter on his piece of the rock looking off into the distance. Alright, so there was a lot of this movie that I was going, what the hell? But it's such a wild ride and the fights are so good that it's worth watching if you get the chance. I found this movie at a discount shop, but it's available online if you know where to look. So hunt it down and get lost in the madness and really enjoy that final fight because it's just sick. Okay, gang, that's going to do it for this week. As always, hit me up on Twitter at Kung Fu Drive-In. Same on Instagram or on the Facebook page or just drop me an email at KungFuDriveIn at gmail.com. I'm only a few days late this time, but I will be making it up with some extra shows this week to try to get back on schedule because I have some stuff going on over the next few weeks that may make getting a podcast out kind of tough, but I promise to not leave you high and dry this time. Shoutouts to all the Potter family on Twitter, and until next time, Poison Clan, peace. Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's warm We smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's warm We smash the place up with a dragon claws I see the iron fisted bunk before the daily prayers Shaolin bunks on the hands, running down the thousand stairs The fate of Lee Khan, now's in King Yu's hands With the fearless idea rolling over the land Yeah, the little big soldier is old Otherwise, so he wants a world of peace Because he doesn't want to fight Yo, Got the venom mob laying down the law Bruce Lee delivered kicks, guaranteed to raise jars Fight for the cars, then pause, hear the applause Not again, back kicks will defeat the outlaws Very good, but more don't hit back Yeah, the death jewel's here David is coming back The Tai Chi master Jelly's even faster Could chat a little drink Because he is the drunken master Once upon a time in China Rosamund Kwan is real fine But see Maggie show his spine Golden Swallow has arrived Shang Chi movies Will the hero we survive We've got the brave archer Make his way to the top Of the mountain gonna fight May as well pick the spot Yeah, the sky goes black Cause the vampire's back We've got Lam Ching Ying To kill them all So stand back He plays the black magic On the soul of the sword and our sword will travel until his body's on floors Yeah, 
Wing Chun Shaol in a mantis style Yeah, defeat the enemy and watch him run for miles Blood will spill now on the mountain tops When we bring back the soul of the legendary pops Welcome to the tea house, many for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting ha. This time it's warm We smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting ha. This time it's warm We smash the place up with a dragon claws See it's a game of death, yo, you're facing the big boss It's once upon a time in China counting the TikTok The Shogun Assassin slash and blood just drip drop The head kick, neck drop, balance the bone stop Wanna kill Bill, better get the assassins He's got Irma just in yellow, but she is in the dragon But in the tea rooms, that's where it'll happen She got the bodies on the floor and the blood It'll splatter against the walls, no fear at all To kill them all, there's always blood spill When you head into a war, fearless, unleashed The fist of legend that they call Jet Li I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumbling the streets And it's simple, see the facts are these It's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting ha. This time it's warm, we smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting